0: Hello and welcome back to the uh, Home Bible Study uh, podcast. We are currently studying the book of or the letter to the Hebrews and we're currently in chapter 2. So uh, to all of you who have been listening to the podcast of this study, thank you. I hope that you're finding things that are blessing you that you're learning, that we're learning together and we're growing, and that we're glorifying the Lord Jesus in the process. So, today we come to um, more of this elaboration from the letter of the Hebrews on Jesus Christ, on who He is, what He's accomplished on our behalf, and what it means to us today. We started off looking at the past and how that in verse 1 of chapter 1 of how that God had spoken to uh, many different people over an extended period of time in different ways. But now we've moved into this new dispensation, this new era of that we call the church age where uh, God is accomplishing something that was not really revealed directly in the past, but Certainly when we look back and we study the Old Testament, we can see many um, verses that point to this time. But now we are in a time that was relatively a mystery. And Paul refers to a lot of these doctrines as mysteries because uh, mystery in the Bible is something that could not be known by uh, mankind except Uh, that God reveals these things and here we see a lot of those mysteries and when we uh, bring what we know now with the things that we've been shown in the past it opens up a lot of things a lot of knowledge that we didn't have beforehand I think the best example of that is the book of Daniel and how that he gave the revelation of the image with the you know gold head of gold and um, the subsequent metals as it went down to the feet the clay and iron mix we can certainly understand those things better now in light of history we can see how that each one of those portions of that image represented different uh, world uh, nations that would kind of come into power and even you know the animals that were represented in his subsequent um, um, his subsequent uh, ministry and the latter part of Daniel and then we put that with the book of Revelation and so now we have a much clearer picture of the events as from God's perspective and the ages and and what he's accomplishing in us and in our times and it is quite awesome and if you're not familiar with these books if you're not familiar with these things maybe the lord will have for us to study them together and if he does you know uh i would be delighted in that Um, that would be awesome but there are many good resources that you can uh, find to um, get, uh, light on these different subjects. And I'm going to try my best to give you some of that insight, uh, as we go through these studies, when it, it, it makes sense to do it. And today is one of those times. So, uh, we're going to be looking at some, what I think very, you know, deep things in this next, uh, these next few verses. And I think the the scripture here warrants us stepping back and taking in these things. And the the person who wrote the letter of Hebrews obviously knew these things and is writing from a perspective of knowledge. And we need to have that same knowledge to appreciate the depth of the scriptures that we're studying. And I think the Lord Jesus wants us to know these things. He wants us to mature. The overarching message in this letter to the Hebrews is to move to maturity. He wants us to grow up and he wants us to progress and to have a constant walk towards our goal, which our goal is to be complete in Christ. He's going to accomplish this in us. We know this. And the letter of the Hebrews is goading us or pushing us along that line so that we don't get so caught up in the things that are going on in our lives, uh, in the world today, that we miss the bigger picture. That this is just a temporary state that we're in right now, that we have a much larger future ahead of us. And I think that our study today is going to allow us to get a glimpse into the scope of that. I hope so. Um, I hope that we're able to, uh, by the grace of God, see some of those things. So I we're going to start here in Hebrews chapter two, verse five. And I'm, I'm going to sincerely attempt to get through verse 13. Now, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be i try to keep them um 45 minutes to an hour at the most but you know this one we have some weighty things so i don't know how long it's going to take i pray that you'd bear with me it is a podcast so you can always return to it but i like for you to get a full meal each lesson so uh, we'll do the best we can um i have entitled this these verses the mysteries of angels and men because that's what we're looking at there's a, a lot of great substantial things here and I'm going to go over facts right I'm going to I try my best to stick to the facts to the things that are supported by scripture but today you may see me get into the realm of theory because I have studied the The Bible for a few years and I have come to, you know, formulate some of my own theories. And I think theories are the way that we grow and we perpetuate knowledge. I've certainly benefited from the study of, um, other men in the past and the things that they've discovered through scripture. And I think many people have embraced these things as truth. Um, I have come to my own, um, understanding and i'm going to share that with you but i'm going to make sure i give you the caveat of letting you know that you know it's my theory and if you don't agree with it or you don't feel like that the scripture uh, substantiates it then i won't be offended at all but i believe that it does i believe that this comes from a sober study and uh, i don't feel like that i'm going way out in you know the cosmos, uh, outside of the bounds of scripture. So I'm going to allow you to be the judge of that. I'm going to pray that the Lord leads me in it. And so that I, um, present his word properly. So with that said, let's get into the study here. So we're going to, we left off, uh, verse four, chapter two with the, the warning. There's a warning that we have to be careful, um, that we take these things very seriously that we understand that these things are weighty and they've been delivered to us by the Lord Jesus himself. And that there's a certain responsibility that we have associated with that. Uh, And now we move into some of the deeper things. The, The writer gets back to the superiority of the Lord Jesus and how that he's superior to angels. And in doing this, he opens up, he peels back the veil of um, the universe, the things that are happening outside of time, and makes us to see what it is that the Lord Jesus has done for us in actuality. And it's pretty awesome. So I hope you're sitting down. So uh, in verse 5, it says, For unto the angels hath he not put subjection, the world to come wherever we speak so we're back to the angels and the work of the Lord Jesus and how that he's superior to the angels and now the writer makes a point to say for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come so this is speaking of the a future world right A world that is future not only to these people who were originally reading the letter to the hebrews but also to us and so here we have to have an understanding or appreciation of the events that are to come the events that are yet future for us and for mankind in relation to the lord jesus so now we we talked about the dispensations. Right now we are in what's called the church age that began at the day of Pentecost and it will end at the next big prophesied event, which is the rapture. So this is this is in consideration of the world to come. so let's let's go ahead and take a little trip through time and we're going to go through time all the way to the point that, the writer is speaking of this world to come. So, we're not there yet, but we do know all the things that need to happen before we get to that world. And so, that we all have the right frame of reference moving forward. I'm going to cover those things. So, rather than assuming that they're known, because I've seen, you know, in the different places that, you know, it's kind of mixed up. People People don't necessarily have all these events in the proper order, right? So I'm going to give you that order so that we can all be correct in moving forward uh, um, from the the same page. So first, there's the church age. So that began with the, the day of Pentecost and it'll end with the rapture. The church age ends with the rapture event. Once the last person that's going to be saved during this church age is already predetermined, it's not like God is sitting up in heaven wondering if somebody's going to accept him or they're going to be saved or not. He already knows. He knows the full number of people that are going to be saved. He knows them by name. He knows how many hairs are upon their head. He, it's already set. So he set these things, these events, um, in order. And the order, because he does everything in order. And the order is that. Um, he is considers himself number one. See, all these believers who have are going to be saved during the church age, they have a number. He's the firstborn, he's number one. The very first next person that was saved after that he was resurrected, that was number that's number two, and so on. So all of us have a number, right? And the last person, whether they they may not even be born yet. They may not even be alive, right? They could be born several years into the future I don't know but he does once that person is redeemed and they come to a knowledge of salvation boom immediately the rapture occurs right so all the church age believers are then taken out of this world and immediately after that the great tribulation starts so the people on the earth won't be aware of that They're not going to be like, oh, the rapture has occurred. Now the tribulation is going to start. No, because the majority, if you had noticed by now, let me make it clear that the majority of people have no idea of the events that are going to take place. Um, Our enemy Satan has done an excellent job of confusing and muddying the water to make these things unclear. And so the average person has no idea. Nor do they even care about these things. It's so convoluted. They're so focused on all these crazy theories and ideas that they won't even know what has occurred. In fact, the let's just say the rapture occurred on a Saturday, Saturday night. Just just say, and that following Sunday morning, churches all over the world are going to be full, right? Because. Um, All these people are, they go to church, there's several, most of them, I would say, that are attending churches uh, that are packed full of people. These mega churches are full of unsaved people, right, who are clueless, being led by unsaved men and women. Um, So those churches are going to be full. And the way the world is set up, if you had noticed as a believer, uh, you will, that churchianity or the organized church is really not a friend of the believer they really don't care about people who are animate about serving the lord jesus and who live a life that is separated from sin and a life that glorifies god if you haven't noticed that you will you know you just keep praising the lord you keep glorifying him you keep taking a stand to live for him And you'll see how they really feel about you okay and 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 so you, you keep doing it you don't let what how they feel affect you my point being that these people are very religious but they have no concern about the Lord Jesus they go through a ritual they have created this God this image of God in their own mind that's acceptable to them that is in line with their beliefs They don't try to align themselves with the Lord Jesus. They create this God that they can align with their life so they can live the life that they want to live. That's the way it works. So these people will still be on earth to go into this tribulation period. So that tribulation is going to last for seven years. So exactly. At the end of that seven year period... Then um, and this, all the things that are going to happen during that seven year period are covered in the book of Revelation, starting from chapter four on. Um, those events have to happen and it'll take a seven year time span for that to happen. At the end of the tribulation period comes a 1000 years of peace, the millennial kingdom where Jesus himself will return to the earth and he will rule the world from the nation, Israel. And this is going to fulfill the promise that he's made countless times over in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, all these prophecies that speak of him establishing his kingdom on the earth. Well, that's going to happen. You know, there's some people who for some reason believe that's not going to happen. Well, they're just incorrect. Because God said it's going to happen. And if God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Period. End of story. So he's going to accomplish this uh, 1,000 year reign. And it'll fulfill the promises that are associated with the kingdom. That are associated with all the nation of Israel. The promises that he made uh, as far back as uh, Abraham. So that will occur. You have that 1,000 year period. And then at the end of this thousand year period, that's where we're at in verse uh, five. That's what he's talking about. The world to come. That's what he's talking about. At the end of this period, we enter into the eternal state is what we call it. There's going to be a new earth made and a new heaven. The whole universe is going to be remade by fire. And um, when this is commonly referred to as the eternal state. And this is what the letter to the Hebrews, this writer is talking about. For unto the angels, hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So this is the world to come. Okay, that eternal state. uh, After God has accomplished all the things that he's promised to accomplish, all of the times of the Gentiles are complete, the times of the great tribulation, the one thousand year reign of the millennial kingdom, and then we enter this eternal state. Now we don't know a lot about what's going to be happening during this eternal state, just because it's not revealed to us. But we do know some things about it, and those things are pretty wonderful in and of themselves. So we're going to focus on what we do know, uh, as a regard this this eternal state, this world to come. So. Uh, We need to cover a few things, I think, to really understand the gravity of what's being said in verse five. Now, we have gone over a lot of things already uh, to get to this point, to understand this, what what he's referring to, this world to come. You can, to support further um, what I'm saying, we can refer back to Hebrews chapter one, verses uh, 10 through 12 where it says and thou lord in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands uh, they shall perish but thou remainest and they all shall wax old as of the garment and as the vesture shall thou fold them up and they shall be changed but thou art the same and thy years shall not fail so This is not new. This is a continuation of what he established in verse one. He's saying the world to come. That's what he's talking about when all things are made new and that's this eternal state. So, so now that we've uh, kind of established that, uh, now we need to see, uh, what, now that we know that there's an eternal state. So, so what's the significance of that? Okay. What is the significance of that? So the significance is is that man has been elevated through Christ to be above all creation, even the angels, who are in the beginning and are currently above man. That's what that's the point of what he's saying. He says, "For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come." Right, um, uh, where we speak. But in verse six, but one in a certain place testifying, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? So this is from Psalm um, eight verses four through six. So now he's making a contrast, not only between Jesus and the angels, but now between the angels in mankind and i believe there's a reason why this um, contrast is being made so he references this verse that would have been very well known to the hebrew people in the psalms where he says one testifies in a certain place uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him that's a good question like who is man to deserve this place in this new, uh, world to come, you know, why man, why mankind, why was man, why does man, uh, merit such a place? So it's a, we should be asking that of ourselves. Like who are we that God would be mindful of us individually? Like you should be able to ask yourself that. I certainly can ask myself that, and I can't answer it. The only reason why God would have anything to do with me is it's his will to want to have anything to do with me. Um, He has purposed in himself to place his love upon me. I know that through the scripture and I know that by faith. But that's as far as I can understand that. Right. Because it originates from him. I mean, that's love. That's how love works. And his love in particular is perfect love. And he's placed that perfect love on me in spite of me, right? And so the psalmist came to that same understanding. And that's why he asked that question, you know, what is man that you would be mindful of him? And in verse seven, thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou has crowned him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. So originally... In verse seven, this goes back to the original creation of man. He takes us back to the garden when uh, God made him lower than the angels. Mankind is lower than the angels. The angels were created first. They are uh, spiritual beings. They have access to heaven. They have access to God. They have power, authority, uh, a certain amount of glory associated with angels. So we were created lower than them right because we are flesh and blood we are physical beings we're very limited in what we can do and uh you know you take away our air we die immediately you know so we are lower we were created in verse 7 we were created lower than the angels right but it but then it says in verse 7 thou crownest them they crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of thy hands so originally we were set over the works of god's hands we were created adam was given dominion over the earth he was given dominion over the animals he was given a a power and dominion that we can't appreciate now because we just have never experienced it we've never seen a world where a man had true dominion to the extent that adam had because sin came into play and we lost that place of dominion as a result so um but that was the how god created man and 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 we were given this this uh, dominion but i think we need to look beyond just the garden, because the writer is talking about the world to come so this is a glory and an honor that we haven't received yet that's associated with the world to come right and it said and it set him over the works of thy hand so it's not only looking back to the garden scene but it's already looking forward to this time of this eternal state this world that's going to come when god um recreates when he makes a new earth and a new heavens you know when this like like it says um that you know all of these things that he's created now are going to be you know wax old like a garment right like he's going to just say okay it's time to to make make things new and we already know that in christ there's a certain uh glory associated with our future we have a a future hope of glory and exaltation in Christ. And here we see that alluded to uh, directly. And uh, it was enough to make this psalmist just question in awe, like who is man that he should merit this exaltation? And we saw the same thing, if you remember, when we looked at David uh, in Second Samuel, where he was just awestruck at the fact that the Lord Jesus said that he was going to always have a descendant of David to rule uh, over Israel on the throne. And we know that to be the Lord Jesus uh, as the fulfillment of that. But David was awestruck. Like, who am I that I should receive such an honor? And we see that same... Uh, thing here. And I think that's on purpose to make us understand the awesomeness of what God has done for us in Christ. And these Hebrew people needed to know that. And we need to know that so that we can appreciate all that he has accomplished for us. And that it would encourage us to press on and press towards his high calling in spite of the things that may Uh, come before us to try to hinder us from accomplishing our service to him. You know, those things that we spoke about, uh, those basic things that we should be doing as believers, that we have to persist in doing those things because we have this great and wonderful uh, future ahead of us. So he's establishing the fact that man was Created and made a little lower than angels but we have a hope in a future that uh, of exaltation um, so i think it's important for us to see um, before we kind of move forward some things and it's i spoke about this theory um in ver- verse eight let's look at verse eight Thou has put all things in subjection under his feet. It's talking about mankind. And in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So what does that mean? Um, of course, your initial application is going to be, oh, he's talking about Jesus, right? But. I don't think we should jump to that conclusion because we're talking about mankind. Remember in verse seven, um, you know, he started off, you know, uh, in verse six, actually started off saying, well, what is man that that you're mindful of him? So we're talking about man. Uh, Certainly the overarching big picture is Jesus, but Jesus has associated with angels and men. And so, We're talking about the exaltation of mankind. And it says that, you know, in this future state, all things are going to be under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. That's everything. He left nothing that is not put under him. But for now, we don't, we, he says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. So what... What is he talking about? Well, I think that we have to, this is where we get into my kind of theory, and we have to understand, we have to step back and look at this big picture of the purpose of God, of what's called the eternal decree and what he's accomplished. And he's already kind of taken us back a little bit to the garden in that our original state before Sin. and I think that gives us a clue into what actually is happening here um if you think about it we we have to we have to see Jesus right we have to see who he is and what he's done in verse nine but we see Jesus we this is we don't see everything as it's going to be in this eternal state right right now, That's what it says. But now we see not yet all things put under him. What under who? Under mankind. But what do we see? We see Jesus. So we're not talking about Jesus because now he's talking about Jesus. So he's talking about mankind. But now we see not yet all things put under him, mankind. But what do we see in verse nine? We see Jesus, right? Who was made a little lower than the angels. the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man so jesus here is presented as accomplishing something that takes us from where we are now and what we see now to where we're going to be in this world to come that's the point here right so That's what God has accomplished. So here's kind of my the way I see this working out. Here's my theory that has happened here. In verse nine, there's a story of redemption that has accomplished here. God has taken man uh, from where we are now to where we're going to be, right? Jesus has done that. That's the work that he's done. And now he's kind of, letting us see some of the things that have happened in the background and his purpose and his overall plan for us. And we got to keep that in mind to encourage us to continue to mature. Now, in verse nine, we're going to see this story of redemption. You know, it's kind of like the book of Ruth, but on a much bigger scale that goes beyond time and eternity. So we're going to kind of, like I said before, pull back the veil of kind of the hidden things. You know, these things that are, uh, you know, heavenly things that they will show us some of the drama that's unfolding beyond our sight because there is drama. There is a lot of things that are going on. There's this whole war that's happening in the spiritual realm that we don't really see. And we get little glimpses of it. Sometimes we participate in that in that we are pushing forward and ministering on behalf of the lord jesus and we sometimes feel the effects right of the enemy trying to hinder us from doing what we know what we should be doing uh, we get just a little taste of this huge war that's going on and and that's part of the what makes us grow and mature now if you don't want to press forward if you don't want to face those challenges that are associated with serving the Lord Jesus, you're not going to mature, right? Those things are what make us to grow. And we need to grow and we need to grow spiritual muscles so that we can uh, put on the whole armor of God and stand, right? We have to stand, we have to wear all of the armor and we have to sometimes get the full brunt Of the enemy coming at us in various ways, but we have resources. We have this spiritual armor that we can wear to protect us, and we have to stand. You know, that's what we have to do. We have to take a stand when these things happen. And uh, these fiery darts are constantly flying at us, and we walk into circumstances and situations that are unfriendly or unkind to the believer. But you know what? That's okay because we're fully protected and god has prepared us god is preparing and has prepared us for every situation and that's what this walk is that's the christian walk the progression that we have to you know uh embark upon and continue but if you don't do it if you decide no it's too much i'm not going to do it you're not going to lose your salvation you'll still be saved but you're not going to grow And when you don't grow, you get tossed around because the enemy's not going to stop. Even though you're not growing or pursuing or taking a stand, doesn't mean those arrows are going to stop flying. They're going to continue to fly. And you're just going to be less prepared to face it. So let's not take that route. Let's be courageous in the Lord Jesus, put on our full armor and stand because it glorifies him when we do that. And... If we don't do anything else to glorify the Lord Jesus, we can we can stand. We can do that together in his word. So that's what uh, that's what we're called to do. And um, we have this warfare that we've entered into. And this warfare goes way back. And I think my theory is that it goes as far back as the garden, because that's where sin first was manifested. That's where man was taken from this place of dominion to, uh, enter into sin. And I think that we can see piece together from the scripture, how that occurred. So, um, we know that from the book of revelation, we know that there was a war that happened in heaven where there was Lucifer, who was the covering cherub from Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen That's what it says, that he was the covering cherub. He was very high ranking uh, over all the other angels. It says that um, he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So that speaks of the altar that's in heaven and those stones that are um, on the altar. That you know these hot coals of of judgment it speaks of judgment and, uh, and authority and, um, holiness. Um, you know, that's the position that he maintained originally. And it says he was perfect in all his ways until a inico- iniquity was found in him. So something inspired this iniquity, you know, uh, something caused him to, um, uh, for this sin to manifest, and we know through study is the sin of pride that manifested in him, and I believe that that was the creation of man, because angels were created prior to the creation of man, and he had his position as of authority. He was uh, only he was you know directly under God over all the other angels over all other the created intelligences. And then God created the earth and then God created mankind. Now, this is something that was outside of his control. And I believe that that's what incited this pride or this uh, man made this iniquity manifest itself. And subsequently, there is a war. We know, like I said, in Revelations, there's a war in heaven where Satan got a third of the uh, angels to, you know, go along with him and they revolted and God simply casted them out of heaven. He said, get out of here. You know, Um, there's a, you know, verses that let us know that some of those, all of those angels became demons. You know, Lucifer, Lucifer became Satan. And now there's a, a stark change in personality, right? We go from this one that walked among the stones uh, of fire in the altar to now one who goes to and fro as a roaring lion on the earth, seeking who he can devour. Now he has become this dragon, very negative connotations of anger, of uh, power and violence. And now he has these demons that are these orderly beings that, at his control. And he has a purpose. And the first thing I think he did after being cast down to earth was to attack mankind. You know, he uh, took the form of this serpent and dwelled the serpent, which is this is his practice. This is his plan. Um, That's the one thing about Satan is that he doesn't deviate from his character or from his purpose and plans because he uses the same plan throughout history. Just like he indwelt this um, this serpent to uh, to speak to Eve, he's going to indwell the man of sin, and at the during the tribulation, and it's going to be pretty much the same characteristics. So that's what he did. He went after mankind immediately, you know, to get them under his control. He still had the power of death and sin, right? Even after becoming Satan. And he wanted to take mankind uh, to get them under sin so that they would, by the fear of death, he would gain power over them. So this is what we see transpiring in, um, in the garden, in Genesis. We see where he goes after the woman. He um, causes her doubt, God and his goodness. He outright calls God, God a liar and, um, manifests his, you know, he starts off very subtly and that's, that's how it works. And then, you know, he just goes, turns from a serpent to a lion, to a dragon, you know, and he just outright calls God a liar. And the woman took of the fruit. Uh, she ate it and then she gave it to Adam who was there for her. Now who was there with her. Now Eve was beguiled, you know, it's clear that she was, beguiled, but Adam was not, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. And so sin enters in, into the world and mankind is then, uh, cast out of the garden of Eden. And we end up in the world as we see it now, the world that we live in. Now we can see the effects of sin over in, you know, on mankind, on the earth, that there's war, that there's famine, that there's, Lying, cheating, uh, all the things that are evil that we see happening every day. day—that so casually, you know, people do these things so casually. Um, and, and we shouldn't be that casual. I mean, we stand before God in heaven and, um, and it's awful. The things that uh, transpire on a daily basis we, that are even celebrated now. I mean, um, there's people, uh, I just read, uh, yesterday where this, uh, woman who owns this company is, is making provision for people to go off and do evil while at work just because she thinks it's a good idea. And so it's just, it's just really sick where, where we've come, uh, as a nation and as a people and our morals uh, the moral decay as compared to what God has given us—that's righteous—and what it is that's accepted now. So, so yeah, that all happened back then, and we have suffered the consequences of of sin ever since. So that's what I believe um, occurred, and why Satan was so adamant to go after man. And to trap mankind uh, in sin because sin leads to death. And that was Satan's attempt to um, thwart the future of man. Because God has purposed that man will be exalted. And so that's why we have this enemy, Satan, who wants to stop that. He wants to do whatever he can to uh, prevent us from being all that God has purposed us to be. Now, will he be successful? No. Ultimately, he's not successful because in verse 5, it says the world to come. That means that world is going to come. It's set. It's going to happen. But does that mean that he's not going to do everything he can to thwart it in the meantime? No, he's going to do that. So we need to keep that in our minds and understand that that's why these things happen. That's why we have this battle. That's why we've been given this armor to wear. And that's what we're facing uh, on a daily basis. But the encouragement here, I think, is in verse nine. So with all of that as a context, it now makes verse 9 to be something greater than just a casual reading right knowing all the things that have occurred prior to now the purpose of God in uh, placing man you know giving him dominion over the earth and then Satan's activity to thwart that and all of the um, adversarial conflict the burden and the curse of sin, all these things that were in place, the darkness and the sadness and the hopelessness of that situation. Then we have verse nine. And that's the point I believe that the uh, writer of the letter to the Hebrews gives this context. That's why he starts with, well, look, this is the world that to come. And this is what God has accomplished for us in verse nine it says uh but we see jesus right now we know all of these things are going to happen that he is purposed for man to be exalted he's purposed to place all things under man's feet and in verse five remember he says for unto the angels he hath not put in subjection the world to come so there you go now you see why satan and all of his uh Demons are so angry because they have no place. They have no place in the future order that God has purposed for us. There's no place for them. And they want to rob us of that place. Right? That's the purpose of Satan. That's what motivates him and his demons to constantly try to thwart us. But we have verse 9 that says, But we see Jesus. Okay. We see Jesus and what he's done. And what has he done? What has he done to help us or to in, you know, uh, in contrast to what Satan is doing? What has Jesus done? Well, it says who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's what he's done. So, to redeem us from this awful place that we were in, this place of no hope, Jesus came himself in the form of a man and became lower than the angels. So, Satan was motivated by pride, right? That's his motivation. He wants to exalt himself. He wants to be exalted He wants to be seen as over everything. You know, we can see that in Isaiah um, 11. It talks about the five I wills of Satan. I will be like the most high. He wants to exalt himself. But Jesus, on the other hand, made himself lower than the angels. So through submission, through humility, Jesus has redeemed us. And I think Jesus is trying to show us the pattern for success is that whenever we get to a point where it's about me, 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 I, 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 we exalt ourselves. We look out for our interests over the interests of others. That's when we're going down the wrong path. The right path is a path of submission. And it's a path of submission to the Lord Jesus. And. It's a road that's a road of humility. And there may not be any... uh, The world may not celebrate you. They may not say, oh, you're the best. You're the most beautiful. You're the most handsome. Uh, You're the most successful. You're the greatest at what you do. You may get no recognition from the world at all. But that's okay. Keep looking at Jesus. If you want recognition... If you want to be honored, if you want to be exalted, look to Jesus for that. Make sure that you're living a life that pleases him. And you will find all the joy and rejoicing that your body can stand in that. You have to keep your eyes on the Lord. That's why it says, but we see Jesus. And he was made a little lower than the angels. And he did that for us, not because he had to, but to redeem us from the state that we're in. He had to become lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So um, not just that he became lower than the angels, but he suffered unto death. And I think we again, we have to see this is the pattern that he said on our behalf that our lives will be a life of suffering. We're going to suffer. If you stand, if you put on the whole armor of God, it's uncomfortable. You know, it's much easier to get up in the morning and just go and do your business and not even think about any armor or shield of faith or hell. Hey, I don't think about any of that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's less cumbersome, but when you, Make a point to put that armor on. You're going to find that you don't move as freely through the world as you would without it. But you're fully protected and you're ready to at all times to be able to give a testimony and of your faith and a witness for the Lord Jesus. Um, you can't, you know, go and enjoy cocktails and have on all your armor. It doesn't work because you're going to subsequently not have on your armor, (laughs) right? Um, It's, it's not, it's not as comfortable, you know, but we don't do it because it's comfortable. We do it because we want to serve the Lord Jesus. And we want to be prepared to be able to give an account and to glorify him and witness on his behalf. So, This is the pattern that of suffering that he himself experienced. And so we should not be surprised when suffering comes into our lives. Well, What's the result of this suffering that, you know, uh, this suffering unto death that he experienced? Well, he was crowned with glory and honor. It says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he started it. He was, he's the pattern. He's the first begotten, uh, the firstborn, right? He is our example. And so he tasted death for every man, meaning that all those whom he has numbered that I spoke of earlier, all of the believers that he's numbered to be redeemed, he tasted death on their behalf so that they would be able to join him in this place of glory and honor. That they'd be able to inherit this world to come. That's what Jesus has done for us. Uh, And that should motivate and encourage us to live for him. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's, uh, That's the basics. That if he was willing to suffer unto death and all the things that he suffered in his life, then who are we not to expect to do the same? You know, that's the pattern that's been set for us. In verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So here we see Jesus, uh, the one who created all things for himself. You know, the God of everything, exalted, um, he took upon flesh with the purpose, with the goal In bringing many sons unto glory. Right? That was his goal. Well, it says it became him or it was, it seemed right. You know, it seemed right for him who is exalted uh, with the purpose of bringing many sons of glory to make the captain of their salvation. So this is the speaking of the father. It seemed right to the Father that Jesus would take this route of suffering to bring us, those who are redeemed, unto him so that we would have a part in this world to come. He became the captain of our salvation and he was made perfect through suffering. So what does that mean to be made perfect? Well, he's He's God. He's already perfect. Yes. But in his humanity, there's no such thing as a perfect man. There never has been a perfect man until Jesus took upon humanity. So what he's done is he has humbled himself, left heaven, come to this place where we live, uh, been exposed to all the things that, you know, humans are exposed to. And he did that so that he could make a way for man to come to him because there, there was this, there's barrier of sin between us. There was no way for man to be exalted. There's no way for man to be lifted up above the angels or even into heaven or anything. It wasn't possible because sin imprisoned us, right? Well, he fixed that he became like us and he made the way for man to be redeemed by canceling out sin, by dealing with the sin issue and taking upon the, all the sin of all the people who were to be redeemed by taking that upon himself and suffering the judgment from the father of that sin. He became our full redemption, he was the sacrificial lamb to take away the sin of the people, and that's why when we see him, we're going to see uh, not the exalted Jesus that uh, we see in Ezekiel, that was you know above the firmament, above all the angels, and there was this glory all about him, and it was the form of a man. We're going to see Jesus face to face because he took upon himself humanity and he took upon himself a body and that body is going to bear the marks of his sacrifice. That's why when we see him, he's going to have the scars on his body from when he was crucified. You know, that's, that's the Jesus that we're going to see. Yes. He'll be glorified. Yes. He'll be full of you know, honor and all the accoutrements that are associated with being deity. But we're also going to see him as Jesus, not just as the Messiah, the God of everything, the one who created all things and all things were created for him. But we're going to also see Jesus, the one who redeemed us, Jesus in his humanity. And He has afforded us this opportunity. No one prior to this time could see God and live. It wasn't possible. You would die just even getting close to Him. we We see in the Old Testament where there's countless, you know, accounts of over and over again, where there's a prophet, they would go before the Lord and they'd see him in His the pre-incarnate Christ. They'd see him in his deity and they would just fall that flat on their faces, you know, lifeless because the the deity and the glory of God is overwhelming and flesh and blood cannot handle that. But now Jesus has made himself a little lower than the angels so that we could be brought up to where he is. And he did that through suffering. So in verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth, that's the Lord Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that's all of those of us who are saved, are all made one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So now we see what Jesus has accomplished for us in a different light. It's not only that he saved us or redeemed us, but think about that path of redemption. That had him leave the Father and the glory and the honor that is his by right, and he took upon flesh and became like us, so that we could be, could become like him. And he didn't do that for angels; he did that for man. And that's why the psalmist says, "What is man that God would even consider him? Not not just consider him, but even." Go to such lengths to redeem him and to make him a part of this world that is to come. And I hope that, you know, in light of this study, we can enter into what the psalmist entered into. The, the, the being awestruck by what God has performed on our behalf and that he made that the father made his son the captain of our salvation and he was made perfect through sufferings. That he these sufferings that we experience, they don't compare to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, right? That we can't even put them on the same level, right? But we do experience sufferings. And that's part of his purpose. He's purposed it to to use these sufferings to make us to be Uh, perfect in him and that's how the father that's the route that the father gave unto the son and that's the route the son gives to us so we have to not complain about the sufferings but embrace them knowing that you know they're filtered through the love of God none of us suffer anything except for that it goes through this filter of the Lord Jesus He stands in the way of our suffering and he takes the brunt of it and we only get just very traces trace amounts of the suffering that we would get otherwise that's what he accomplished on the cross that that's what he was doing and so you know shame on us for Uh, complaining. Now there's some people that are suffering things that I can't even imagine. They have to suffer pain on a daily basis. They are going through physical trials and trauma that uh, I just can't fully appreciate not experiencing it myself. But even that is filtered through love. And there's a purpose for it. It is not without purpose. And if you Just keep looking to Jesus. He'll show you the purpose. He'll make you to understand the why. And even if you have to just accept that why in faith, know that there's a purpose for it that glorifies him. And he's given us grace to bear up under these things. He has grace to go along with the suffering. And he always gives more grace. Always. So it says for in verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified are all one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So here we see the unification of man and God, where the Lord Jesus has brought man from his low place. You know, caused by sin, um, And exalted us, made a way to exalt us and bring us to where he is. And he's accomplished this through his person and his work and his life and his death and resurrection. I mean, it causes me to rejoice, but also I'm awestruck by the fact that the God of the universe would do this for me, um, for you, for, for any person. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thought, and it encourages my heart to want to serve him more. And I hope that you have a similar reaction, that just to, to ponder and to just really think about these things uh, really causes me to rejoice, and uh, it's mind-blowing and in a very wonderful way. In verse 12, it elaborates on the fact that, you know, the Lord accomplished this so that we could be with him and that in verse 11 says that he's not ashamed to call them brethren in verse 12 saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So this is from the perspective of the Lord Jesus speaking to the father saying, I will declare thy name. And that's uh, Jesus exalting the Father, even as the Father has exalted him, unto my brethren. You know, we have been called, he has made us to be his brethren. For us to be made equal to God on that level is amazing. But that's how he sees us. That's our place in this world to come. We're going to be his brethren. And he says, in the midst of the congregation, the church or the congregation, will I sing praise unto thee. So this places us more on an equal footing with the Lord Jesus. And I think that's why in verse nine, it says we see Jesus. It doesn't say we see the Lord Jesus Christ. It says we see Jesus because we now have access to God in a way that no one before this time has ever had. There was always some barrier between God and man um, that was caused by sin. There was, you know, you had to approach him in a certain way. There was a temple and there was a priest and then there was the holy place and there was a holy of holies that you could only go to, you know, once a year and only the high priest could go in and And never without blood and a sacrifice. And there was all of these prerequisites. But now, there's no prerequisites. Now we get to see Jesus. We have been elevated by his person and his work to be able to know him in a way that, and experience the Lord Jesus in a way that no one has before. And these Hebrew Believers needed to be reminded of that to see that what they have now is far greater than what anyone has ever experienced in the temple worship and the law and the, the, um, the prophets, uh, the old Testament patriarchs. None of them have been able to see Jesus the way that we can see him now. And it's all through the pattern that he set on our behalf um, of suffering so that we would know that the suffering that we're experiencing now or we will experience in the future is for a purpose and that it is to make us to be mature and to bring us to this place of completeness in Christ where we can enjoy this world to come and that should be encouragement to us that you know this is not our home our citizenship is in heaven and we have a future that is far beyond where we are now and we should be pressing forward towards that future and keeping in mind that suffering is a part of that but also joy and rejoicing also grace and um, the comfort of the word and the comfort of the Lord Jesus as he ministers to us in this life, we have these things. Uh, and this is what we should be entering into fully. That's I've mentioned in the past that, you know, you can be a believer and not enter into the full blessing of all that the Lord Jesus has given us. And, and this is the, uh, the writer of the Hebrews is telling us embrace it, enter into All of these wonderful things that he has given us. And, you know, we have this future of being in this great congregation of believers that have experienced all the things that we've experienced. And it ends in us praising, singing and and praising God along with Jesus, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus in this great company exalted that's our future in verse 13 and again i will put my trust in him and again behold i and the children which which god has given me so we're you know the we're given to see our glorious hope that in the world to come this is what we're going to be doing We're going to be praising the Lord together, this uh, innumerable number of saints that have been called out during the church age, that have lived a life of service to the Lord Jesus, and then we all come together to live in eternity in worship of God. Wow. isn't I mean, what a great encouragement. What a great and wonderful thing to know that the suffering that we experience now is for a purpose. We shouldn't be surprised. We know who our enemy is, right? We know what they're doing and what they're trying to do and even why. We know their motivation. But we also know that it comes to naught. that none of that can stop us from entering into this great future that's before us for some of us it's going to be sooner than others you know but all of us are going to get there and we're all going to rejoice we're all going to be with jesus you know we're all going to be praising god glorifying him together And like right now, we don't see a lot of that. We don't see a lot of us being together in unity and in praise. Sometimes we get to experience it briefly. And, you know, it's wonderful when we get to be with other believers and we're praising the Lord for something that he's done in our lives or exalting him. That feels just wonderful. And we're experiencing it now in a world full of sin. Imagine what it'll be like when there's no sin involved. When we are in a congregation of nothing but holy saints. When we're in the, his presence, full of joy and rejoicing, singing praise unto him. And it says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was looking to the same thing. This is what encouraged him to go on every day and and go on to the cross and to redeem us. He had this joy of this world to come that he knew he was securing through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the same pattern that we have from our captain, the captain of our salvation, the leader, the firstborn. He has given us an example of how we can be successful in this life. And our success is going to be by putting on the whole armor of God and rejoicing. Paul says, again, I say rejoice in all things because this is the the great hope that's been placed before us. So I hope that um, through this study, you've been able to see the pattern of salvation, the pattern of the Christian walk, and the purpose of God in all things that you know, this world really doesn't amount to much you know right now it seems like whatever's happening right now is very important and it's in our face and we feel it but in reality if we step back and we look at the big picture and we see God's purpose and what's happening to us right now then the things that are occurring seem rather small in comparison to where we're headed and what he's accomplishing in us And I pray that that's what we get from this study, that it would encourage us to press on for those of you who are suffering and are feeling the weight of this world and the brunt of the evil one's assaults and those fiery darts. I encourage you to see Jesus, to focus on him. And I promise you, he will give you the grace and the comfort and the strength you need to bear up under whatever trial that you're facing and also give you the direction to lead you to this uh, wonderful place of joy and rejoicing in the hope in the future that we have and i know this because that's what he's done in my life he's done that in the lives of countless others as we can see in the scripture And so I'm confident that He's going to do that same thing for you right now. And that also makes me to rejoice, to know that. To know that He's going to minister to my brethren. Those who I will stand shoulder to shoulder with and rejoice with. And in a place without sin. What a wonderful, wonderful hope we have. So, um, this has been the... um, the study of how that God has joined man in himself, what he's done to accomplish that. I hope that it encourages you to study the book of Hebrews more and um, that you would study the word in light of this hope, that you'd live in light of this hope and that you would minister the gospel in light of this hope to others because we don't know when that last believer is going to be saved. One of us may be the one that ministers the, gospels, ministers the gospel to them and leads to their salvation. And then boom, instantly, the rapture will occur. So I uh, hope that encourages you to uh, minister the gospel and to proclaim it, uh, not only in word, but also with your life. Uh, that's very important that our lives line up with. Uh, what it is we say we believe. Um, Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the letter to the Hebrews and thank you for this lesson. Uh, Certainly, there's no way that I could adequately present these great and wonderful truths. I pray, Father, that God the Holy Spirit would take my um, humble offering of um, an attempt to uh, share these things and and make them to be understood by your people in a way that I alone could never do. I just really want that for for my brethren, for myself, so that we can be better servants and that we can move forward in our growth and uh, get closer to you and to see you. And that others would see you in us. And that it would bring you much glory and honor in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.